poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness. Now, nestled in the foothills of a mountain range, Greatness Village is the promised land the Chasing Poker Greatness community calls home. Here, you'll find elite teachers, aspiring pros, and primitive tribal warriors who grew tired of their old ways and found a better path. These are the stories of Greatness Village on Chasing Poker Greatness. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest is a good friend of mine for about the last five or six years, Joe De Simone. Joe De Simone is a villager. He's currently an MTT pro. But back when I met him in my old Twitch street days, he was battling in the cash game arena. He's been a successful professional poker player for about the last 10 years or so. Greatness Village is very lucky to have somebody as skillful as Joe around to answer MTT questions where, you know, the village is not exactly full of MTT specialists, right? <laughs> We're cash game pros typically. So Joe is a major, major asset to the village. And in my conversation today with Joe De Simone, he's going to drop a greatness bomb on an underbluffed spot when you're battling against fish. He's going to dive deep into his story, his journey through the world of poker. And him and I are also going to reminisce about the good old days. And with that said, without any further ado, I bring to you longtime professional poker player and good friend, the one and only Joe DeSimone. Joseph, how are we doing, sir? Welcome to the podcast. Doing well, doing well. Glad to be here. It's been a while since we've chatted. Yeah, it's been a while since we've we've hung out in an environment like this. And a uh, little backstory, me and Joe, uh, when I was working for Card Runners, I did a weekly stream. And I don't love streaming by myself uh, because it's just like very boring. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not very good at like talking to myself. So Joe came, sweated, kept me company on the Card Runner stream and um, really helped me out. And, uh, you know, you were an early member of my community. You know, we, we've been friends for now years. Um, and you've been a high level poker player and I think we're good. Yeah. Let's just get into your journey through cards. You know, where you come from, tell me the story of how you got involved playing cards in the first place. And I don't think I actually know this. No, I don't tell this very often. Um, I actually, I started getting interested in cards when I was just a little kid. Um, my parents had a weekly poker game with um, my aunt and uncles and some friends and stuff. And as a kid, I, I would be one of the only kids that would stay up really late just watching and just interested. And sometimes us kids would get a jar of pennies that my uncle had and we'd put them on the floor as chips and we'd 
try to make up the games too ourselves and 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 we'd play amongst our each other with the um pennies and then of course we had to give the pennies back so nobody really wanted a loss Did, <laughs> but were, um, were the grown-ups playing for real money yeah they were playing for real money um and i just I, I mean i was just fascinated i just i would stay up all night just watching until i'd get yelled at or something and um but i never really got into it until in until early 2000s my boss came up to me i worked at a pizzeria at the time uh, I was managing one and he said, dude, there's a um, poker room opening in our local casino here and um, we, we need to go check it out. It's going to be pretty cool. I How said, old are you? Um, I was probably like early 20s, probably 21, 22 maybe. And how old are you now? I'm about to turn 42. Wow. Wow. You're so old. Yep. You're like one of the yep. one of the three people that I can call old now because everybody's <laughs> younger than me. <laughs> yep. So this was like 20 years ago. So pre moneymaker, pre poker boom. Yeah. Going to going to check it out uh, with your boss at the pizzeria. Yep. How'd it we, go? Did you just fall back into it. We sat we sat down in a one three. Uh, no, uh, was it a one three? Yeah, it was a one three hundred dollar buy in um, limit game. And um, they had probably bought it for like 50 bucks. Had no clue what I was doing. I think you could buy in anywhere from 40 to $100. No no clue, no strategy. Never played hold in my life. But I looked over and I, I seen the big game. And, I, and, and there was just stacks and stacks of chips in the pot. And I just was like in awe. I'm like, and ours is just these little, we're all playing with dollars, you know. And I go, someday I'm going to get in that game. So I studied and stuff and just, I mean, I became just infatuated with it. I was working like 60 hours a week. And I, as soon as I got out of work, I just changed real quick and ran up to the poker room, played all night, came home, slept maybe a few hours, worked all day the next day, and then just kept doing that over and over and over. And, um, what was so fascinating about the game? Like, wh why did it pull you in and what books did you read when you were coming up? Um, well, the one book I read was the Super System Two. Um, Not two. I think it's Super System One. Two was like two thousand. Yeah, maybe it was the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I read this. Yeah, Super System One. That's right. And then um, a lot of it was mainly just at that point of just trial and error. There really wasn't any, much out there or anything to to learn. Um, I mean, that was this was before online poker too. This was before no limit poker. I remember I came home one day. Uh, I think I was playing like five ten or ten twenty um limit, and I looked at my boss and it was like I was sitting there making pizzas and I did this a lot. And I'm like, what if we just you know all these hands that we call? He's like, yeah, you know, like the jack ten suiteds and we call these things. I said, what would happen if we just start re-raising them? <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? I says, I says, everybody, when they re-raise, they always have a really good hand. I says, what if we start taking some of these hands and start re-raising them, and then we can just bat on, bat on the board, and they'll always think we have a high pair. He That's... says, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I'm going to start trying that. And all of a sudden, I mean, I just shot right up. I mean, I, 
I was like re-raising all these hands and knocking all the people. I mean, obviously that's nothing now, but back then that was different. Well, I mean, it shows that you're like thinking about the strategy and like what people are doing and what people are repping. And I mean, you know, I think that just that's a thing that's going to serve you very well in the year 2000, just being aggressive and like, oh, well, this player just gets aces like 15 times a night. It's really crazy they, how lucky they are. <laughs> they just keep re-raising and they just they just have it over and over and over. Um, how did it feel to, you know, play in the big game that you had your, your eyes set on and then, you know, find success. Did you quit your job? Did you keep still working as a, at the pizzeria? No, I ended up quitting my job. I mean, I was a young kid. Um, I had two pockets. I had my back pocket full of hundred dollar bills. And then my front pocket, I keep everything under a hundred in, in my, <laughs> in my wallet. And anytime my wallet got low, I would break a hundred. Um, I always carried, I always carried at least 7,000 on me. Um, and I just, I just felt like the biggest, like I, like I own the world, you know, I, I was, you're bringing me back, man. It's, I I remember like always carrying all my money in my pocket, like everywhere, like hiding it in hotel rooms, like (laughs) just finding places to like put it, uh, so that nobody would find it. Um, oh God, it's a, it's a miracle that we made it out alive to be honest. Oh Yeah. So then, so, I mean, I was doing really well. I was one of the biggest winners in the game. And then one day I um, was sitting there waiting for it. I put myself on the list and I waited. I sat at the, I sat down waiting for probably about two hours or so. And it didn't look like anyone's getting up in my game. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to take a hundred dollars and go play craps. So I go out there with my Uh-oh. $7,000 in my back pocket that I always carried. And I, Sit at the craps table, and before you know it, I'm playing, placing twelve hundred dollar sevens and twelve hundred dollar, uh, not sevens, twelve hundred dollar sixes and, eight, and eights out there, and just going nuts. And um, I lose the seven thousand quick. I go home, I grab another seven thousand. I I go right back up. I lose that. So now I'm down, you know, fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand dollars. Um, I still had more money, but I said, all right, this is enough. I quit poker. I, I quit everything and, um, quit going to the casino. Um, luckily I had enough money loaned out and, and some money left over where, um, I was had enough to keep me going until I found my next adventure and I got a career job. Um, why'd you quit poker? I mean, poker, you were pretty successful at poker. Because I, I didn't quit craps. <laughs> I didn't trust myself in the environment. There was no, like, I just didn't trust myself. And I just thought, you know, I can't control myself. So I need to just stay away from there. Wow. And it was only that one instance of craps? Well, that was a big incident. I, I, I've had ones before that. And then I, that's why I was, and, but I stayed away from there for a long time, just playing, um, just playing poker. Poker was enough for me where I stayed away. And then I had that. And yeah, you went on the yeah. monkey tilt. How'd I, you, how'd you feel after the, the monkey tilt craps incident? I felt horrible. Like my whole world just ended, you know, you just, you feel like everything's done and what are you going to, you it's a, it's a rush of feelings. Like now, what am I going to do? I just ruined everything. I mean, 
you you had the world and you know who knows what could have happened if that didn't happen but whatever so then you you quit poker yep. and what what was your career gig um i ended up i i went back to pizza that, that was an easy place to go back um as a manager there for a while and then i ended up getting into denny's and i became a manager at denny's for 5 years but i had enough money you know we had a normal life we had we had money and stuff to live on but i felt like i was always broke like i'd always go back to those times you know i wasn't carrying around $10,000 in my back pocket anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you put it all on 7 <laughs> no, you know, you know what I'm saying. Though. Oh, I do. The, the yeah. career, you can't, you can't go from that to the career. Yeah, you, and, you start looking at like the price of gas, and like it, it starts to matter, and you're like, yeah, you're oh, couponing God. and mm -hmm. everything, right? So then, finally, we, we were really broke, and I was working my butt off at Denny's, and I just told, well, my ex-wife now, but my wife at the time, I just told her, I says, I says, I says, trust me, I says, let me, let me get back into poker. I says, and we'll have money again. I said, we're, I said, we're broke right now. I says, I says, yeah, we can pay our bills and stuff. I says, but if I can get back into poker, I says, and I made a promise to her. I says, if I ever have a losing year, I will quit forever. Why was the pool to poker so strong after the time off? You know, what, what happened in the time between like you working at Denny's? What brought you back to poker? Made you feel so compelled to, uh, to chase it again? The poker had blown up. That's true. The boom. That's. I mean, I lost. I. I. I watched the boom go by. I. I. That's I, so fascinating. You were in poker before the boom, and then you had to watch the boom as like a bystander. Yeah. So. So I watched. I mean, I'm just seeing like all these sites are just going crazy. You know, online poker and and there wasn't that back then. It just. It, it just started when I was. Um, yeah, it may have just started when I quit. Um, so I just, I just like, I, there's no way. And and then I had, I had friends and stuff that were um, my old boss that, that were in it and stuff. And I'm like, man, I used to be better than them. Um, just wanted to get back in, just to start having money again. Yeah. So you made the I promise, those, made the I promise to your ex-wife, and yeah. Yeah, I told her. I said, "We ever, we ever have a losing year, I'll quit." So what happened next? So I got, I, I started up in um twenty five no limit. I didn't know how to play um no limit, and um I quit my job, and I got a <laughs> not to play poker, right? Or you, uh, you got a different job? I got a different job. I got a, I got a job that wasn't in pain as much, but I could play poker at it. Gotcha. And uh, okay. And um, I worked at a hotel. I, I was just, I, I was picturing it like, okay, I quit my job and <laughs> I don't know how to play 25 and L. So here we go. Best oh. of luck. <laughs> I, I got another job. I got another job. I, well, I never would have had time at my other job. Um, I think I did start at the beginning of my other job and then I, I might've, I can't remember. It's been so long ago. I, I started dabbling at, 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 when I worked at Denny's and then when I totally quit, then I got the job at the hotel and um, I was able to, it was like, it was an overnight job. Mm. And I told them, and I told my boss, I, li I said, listen, you're going to get me in a real discount. I've managed this place forever. You're never going to have a problem with your hotel at nights. Um, and 
just I just got to be on my computer as much as I can. At, so so you sold him. You're you're yeah. selling. Se- you're a salesman. I didn't know you were such a salesman, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was time, and I got up. I played twenty five no limit on Doyle's room. I think, yeah. And uh, there was no HUDs or anything. And I and I crushed it on the twenty five no limit. And I didn't start having problems until I switched over. I went. I switched over to a hundred no limit on. Um, I got up to hundred no limit on um, full tilt, and and I started I started struggling, and and then I seen an ad for um, for Daniel Negranen's um training course, um like poker uh, po- VT poker poker VT. Yeah. I I didn't know nothing. I said, oh Daniel Negranen, he's a great <laughs> poker player. I can get go. on his training course. So I sign up. It's all MTTs. Daniel Negranen is an MTT player. I, I didn't know, I, <laughs> but, but there was one cash guy, cash game pro on there, bored out of his mind because he's in a site full of MTT players. So he became friends of mine, and I actually got co- private coaching for for him, uh, from him. And um, what's his name? Um, John Ettinger, soccer mom was his screen name nice. back in the day. How did the how'd the private coaching go? It went well. I mean, he got me he got me to beat up to two hundred no limit. That sounds good. Um, I mean, he, I, I just didn't. I, I, yeah, he went through my game a ton and got me up to speed because. What, what were the mistakes you were making? Do you remember? Um. Well, I, I was a non-believer. I was calling too much. Um. Believe it or not, um, I do believe it. That was your old Twitch name was Nonbeliever. Yeah, and that was the little, yeah, just calling too much. You know, the standard things probably, and not three betting as much as I needed to, and you know, just just had to get me into form. I probably wasn't opening wide enough near the button. Just your normal stuff that you. Yeah, kind of a beginner early player. Early decision tree questions of pre flop, and I should three bet more. I should not call as much. Uh, it's yeah. it's that kind of thing. Like people sort of take for granted now, like all the charts and the ranges that kind of exist in the world that they have access to, because like we didn't have shit. Dan Harrington told us to raise three x, so we raised three x. We didn't question. We didn't question action, Dan. Um, and it you know it was pre all the solvers and everything and like having, you know, optimal range spit outs where we can be like, Oh, this is like how it's supposed to actually look. Um, I mean, yeah, that, that's a thing that's really popped up the last, you know, five years or so even. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was none of that. We actually back in the pizza years, we, we ran Sims with the, we'd get a deck of cards out and run Sims. <laughs> yeah. The Doyle way. I think Doyle yeah. did that. Like at the seventies, he would like deal out the cards and like learn by just dealing out, uh, you know, flop turn and river over and over and over again. Yeah, we did that. So you had your first coach, you move up to 200, no limit. I assume that you, you hadn't had a losing year at that point. How were you doing financially compared to your job running the night shift at the hotel? My first year, I went from 25 no limit to taking shots at 400. I made $40,000 my first year. 
I turned the five hundred dollars into forty thousand. That's pretty good. So I I guess well I had the, all the years before of poker, so I mean I still had that knowledge. I just had to um just freshen up and stuff, so that that really helped me um move up. It's interesting you say four hundred no limit because that like brings me back because like it's not, it's not a thing anymore. Like nowhere yeah. spreads like four hundred no limit, but it used to be you know, 100, 200, 400, 600, 1K. Like, but they yep. kind of merged 400 and 600 into like 500, no limit. But yeah, you, you moved up to 400 and L. So that was your second year back was Black Friday. Wow. Yep. Wow. Good timing. Wow, wow, wow. I, I skipped the money maker years and came back a year before Black Friday. Okay. So how I mean, did that go over? Thing. Yeah. Oh, it was, I was devastated. I, of course, back then, Everybody put their whole, you always need a hundred buy-ins and you put your whole role on the site because the sites are safe and they promise they got it in separate accounts and nothing can ever happen and everybody believes. So yeah, that whole bankroll was sitting on full tilt when I got that little FBI warning. Oh man. So how did, how did you feel then? Like what, what was going through your mind and what were your options? I didn't have any options. I I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. Um, I just figured, I felt like I was just, I just built up a bankroll. I was, I was back, you know, Um, making, I was starting to make decent money. I I had this crazy rake back deal where I was making, even if I broke even, I made a thousand dollars a week just in rake back. I mean, it, it was great. And um, then that happened and I was devastated and I was trying to figure out what to do. And I I had actually gotten a second coach to help in the 200 and 400 streets. And um, he, he remembered me that he felt I was a really good player. He actually told me to stop getting coaches. And um, <laughs> why did he tell you to stop getting coaches? He said, I don't need it at this stage. Um, just, just play and, you know, go over stuff self but um that's hilarious because like not looking back on it now it's like obviously i mean fedor has co- coaches right like everybody has like high level coaches people that help them out I, I guess i guess what he meant was he probably couldn't help you anymore you had, yeah you had moved beyond the scope of his his uh coaching abilities but him and his him and his him and a friend of his started up a staking program and wanted to buying American players that um, were basically about about to start looking for jobs and stuff, but he knew we were good players. And I was actually one of the first ones he thought of and asked me if I wanted to get staked and he'll find games for me. So I'm assuming that devastated Joe with all of his money on full tilt and lacking any options, that seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah, it was a great deal. So I did that, and we we had a little group going. I became one of the bigger winners in the group, and um, and he needed they he had a coaching program in the staking, um, and I was like one of the only people that ever religiously showed up to the the hand review classes and stuff. I was just hungry. I'm just ready to kill poker at this time, and I learned a lot from those um, reviews and stuff, and. Basically, eventually I became um, their head coach because they got a bunch of people in their staking group and um, I started taking on students and stuff and, and helping them and 
I was with them for a long time. That's again, these are things that I did not know about you, despite knowing you for like five or six years. So it seems like, you know, things have turned around. You, you obviously got paid from full tilt because of stars uh, paying everybody back and buying the full tilt brand. So you got your money back, your head coach at the staking site, you're getting staked. So it seems like life's going pretty well for you. Um, so like what year was this? And then what was the progression after that? Um, well, this was right after we started this up right after full tilt. I mean, so that was around 2011. And, and while I was married, I was raising a stepson too. I my biggest leak during all this time was I pay, I spent money so fast. I was I was always like, all right, money's easy to be made, and just wanted to give my family the best life possible. Plus, I think part of it was um, I wanted to prove to everyone who always told me I was um, never gonna make it in this, and like family members that kept telling me you're too smart to be throwing your life away and gambling and blah, blah, blah. And so I'd always get the fanciest cars and stuff. I had to drive around in a brand new Audi convertible and blah, blah, blah. Just kind of like to prove to everyone that, that I did, I can do this. And, and I'm not asking none of you, none of my family for money and stuff. And in doing so, I probably didn't save as much as I should have. Um, you had a chip on your shoulder from, yeah, I just you, wanted, you can't make it. Yeah. And yeah, so I didn't save as much. So I stayed staking forever. Um, I'm still being staked. So, <laughs> <laughs> and still one of the most profitable stakeys, I'm sure that that are out there um, just over the years. Yeah. So, you know, you're providing for your family, you're making money, you're head coaching. Uh, I don't know when our relationship begins in your journey. Like, I don't know. I, I can't even remember how you and I connected in the first place. Was it Twitch or Card Runners? I don't remember. It was somehow. It was. Oh, I seen. I I seen you somewhere, and I didn't have a big poker. Remember, I didn't have a good poker community. I didn't really need help with poker too much. I didn't think. I I felt like I needed a. Um, to help with having a poker community. I didn't, I've always been kind of a, like a lone wolf kind of guy. Yeah. It's all coming back to me now because you, I had like a hundred dollar a month program and you bought it and you said that you were in it. You you were buying friends. (laughs) That was how you, that was how you phrased it. Uh, I'm buying friends. Uh, Yeah. I, I wanted some poker, poker friends and stuff. Yeah, how come how come you weren't friends with your you know the folks in your staking group, your the students that you were coaching and all of that? Well, I was, but we weren't really that close. And it seems like a lot of them, like I had one guy that I used to talk to every day. Then he was a, he he was a scientist, and he just kind of left poker. And um, the main guy, the main one of the partners. I mean, I talk to him every day, even now. Um, we, we are close, but nobody was into poker as much as me. They always had other things going on. I mean, I had another friend that was kind of into it, but I felt he was kind of a gambler more so than the poker part. And yeah, you just, you wanted high, higher level communication, people who are like obsessed with poker in the, in the way that you were. 
And right. I felt like I was more helping other people than ever getting any help. Yeah, I mean, that makes it, any it, sense. Oh, it makes a ton of sense. And like, I can say that for whatever reason, with the content that I've made and put out there, like, that's a thing that people are drawn in to, like, you know, you, Lucas, uh, just a crusher who's on his own somewhere, I think, in Thailand right now. But even like the, the community that was put together pre chasing poker greatness were a bunch of just obsessed people who were immersed in poker and like even in the slack group in greatness village today there's a group of people who are just obsessed and immersed with playing poker at a very very high level um and you know quite frankly these are the people that like i love more than all the other people because like they're my people like it's like a reflection of me like this this was how i approach poker and how i look at it and what i want to do i mean just think about so i don't know when this is going to be released but every week I have a thing called Poker Power Hour. And just last night, there was a discussion. Uh, it's supposed to end at 8, and we were running a sim and looking at the results of the sim. And like we went until 8.30 just because like we wanted the answer to some question that probably will never matter in a million years. But like we just wanted to like have closure and find the answer. And that's just like a commonality of like, that's me and the people that find me have that in them as well. And it's just great to have and be surrounded by. Yeah, definitely. It's hard to find if you're like lone wolf on the internet. It's very tough. It's very, especially if you're like introverted or not like putting yourself out there. Um, it's very easy to fall into the trap of just like being on your own and feeling like you don't have a community, community to uh, bounce ideas off of and talk to. And I, I mean, another benefit, there's just numerous benefits of community, but another benefit is like when you inevitably get your, ass handed to you on the felt like people can lift you up and make you feel better right and they can they can help you out and empathize and listen to your listen to you know your story and, and all of that is just so so valuable like not having to deal with those that those emotional swings all by yourself i mean it's tough to even put a price tag on it um, yeah poker you think you're going through your worst swing just don't worry there's a there's a bit worse one coming i mean it can be brutal it, it can be brutal. Just when you think that like nothing else can go wrong, 10 other things are going to go wrong right on the back of that one thing. So, you know, you and I connected when I was with card runners and then card runners like closed up shop. Uh, you were married. Uh, and I use that in the past tense <laughs> because uh, <laughs> some shit's going to go down. Like what happened, you know, in your, in your personal life that affected your professional life? Oh, it was, I mean, I was in a pretty unhappy marriage where I'd be trying to work and, you know, I don't want to get like, go crazy about that, but it, it was not a great environment for me to thrive in. Um, I felt like poker sometimes, and, 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 and with that going on, sometimes you feel like poker's like, how do I explain? It's the one thing that's going good in your life. So if it doesn't go good, it's just detrimental and your whole life comes down. It's your identity. It's, yeah, it's your identity. And it's like, all right, I'm really good at this. Everything else I've seen to do, you know, I seem to suck at. But I'm really good at this. And then, boom, 
oh wow, I just lost twenty thousand dollars this month. Maybe, maybe I'm not so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember you sweating me playing PLO at one point, and then like the next thing I know, you're like, hey, I took a shot playing PLO. I lost five k. I was like. <laughs> what the hell? What'd you do, Joe? You're like they were just giving it away. I thought. <laughs> I haven't played PLO since then. <laughs> That's your craps. That's like your modern day craps story. Yeah, I do enough when to stop though. But um, you know, so despite being successful, like in your professional life, you, you made some changes in your personal life, and then tell me how your life has changed in, since you've made those changes in your personal life yeah well then well we got into after that i got we got into some chinese games that were going well after after i left baylor state king how'd um, you get in those games joe through you <laughs> we, were, we were crushing those games and then somehow we ended up finding our way into some um cheating games yes and, and i had a horrible year that year um we just kept getting into just shady, shady things. Yeah, it was like it was like a a golden opportunity that sort of shifted when the other side kind of figured out like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna change the the odds here in in our favor, and we're gonna we're gonna approach this like by cheating systematically. Because I mean, really, I think that's sort of the natural progression, especially when it's like the wild west is like. Folks will only get their brains beat in for so long until they realize I got to do something else. And if it's not get good at poker, it's going to be get good at cheating. And the folks on those Chinese apps got real good at cheating. Yeah, well, not that good. It did take us too long to figure out something was fishy. Yeah, it took a month for me of getting my yeah. freaking brains beat in. And like, like I've talked about it numerous times on the podcast of just like, taking a bath at night and like just staring blankly at the wall in front of me. Like how are these five 70 slash four guys beating the shit out of me? Cause like you, you weren't even, you, you weren't putting in a ton of volume. Like I was like the volume horse. I'm like in there every day. Let's go. Um, and just, so I was passed. playing different hours and I was doing good. I was winning. That's right. <laughs> I was playing during primetime cheating hours. You played when the cheaters were asleep. <laughs> I was pl I was playing I was playing overnights and you were playing during the day. And and I switched I switched one day um to the day shift and I <laughs> and I just I I never seen my red graph just just plummet like it did. I and I got a hold of you and I says, This is impossible. I've yeah. never I've never seen it happen like this and you're like oh my god mine's doing the same thing like our graphs have never looked like this something's going on here yeah and it was uh unfortunately it took me like a month to come to the conclusion like okay i like something's wrong like that's like i i guess it speaks to like a little bit of maybe the self-confidence or arrogance that i have that like this is going to change it's just variance i don't know what's going on but that's like that's the problem with poker sometimes you think it can be just variance and then Usually it is. Most people, it is variance, and they, oh, the internet's blah blah blah. And I've never had that. I've never had a problem on the internet with any any site. I'm sure I'd been cheated before, but it was on the probably on such a small level where I couldn't notice it. Yeah, but, and that's it. That's another thing too. Is like 
we negatively stigmatize folks who claim that like the site's rigged against us or the RNG's broken. It's like, ha ha, whatever. That's what everybody says. Like, you know, your, your line of the sites. Well, if the site's rigged against you, then like, it's great for me because every site's always been rigged in my favor. Right. That's what I've always said. Well, they must love me. They must be rigging it for me. Then. Right. The, yeah. The, you must be special. Um, so with that in mind, it's like, you don't want to tell people, Hey, I think I'm getting cheated. I, I think you, you just don't, you, you want to be sure. Um, and I guess after, you know, at, when we investigated it, I was very, very, very sure of There's exactly no what was going on. Yeah. There was no doubt. Like we were getting super used and I think we were getting colluded at the same time. Like we were getting double whammied. I, I looked at one table one time. Uh, it was eight handed. There were three super users three colluders, some other dude and me, like some, some poor guy. And then my, me, the poor guy, it was like, my God, like, how did I ever have one winning day in these, in these games? The colluders were losing. Yeah. The colluders are <laughs> losing to the super users. Like it's, uh, it was really, really weird. But yeah, so, you know, we got in those Ch Chinese games and we figured it out. We left those streets um and then we Ogre King. We we started playing on those streets and things went pretty well there. Um and then after that, you and I kind of uh lost contact after yeah. the PKC days. Yeah, you went your own way and I well we I still had to say I just twenty nineteen or so. Wasn't that long ago, yeah. Oh no, I, I think it was twenty eighteen actually. It was so then, yeah. So then I told my staker, I said, "Listen, dude, I said I don't want to play on any of these app sites anymore. I've had enough of these app sites." He's like, "Well, what are we gonna do?" I said, "Listen, I used to make a lot of money on Ignition. Let me get on there." He's like, "I don't think there's gonna be enough." I said, "Just trust me." In a world where a fish dog bets the flop. And you don't know what to do. One man, Coach Brad Wilson, has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle. Rated R. 100 NL player, former Sergeant Elijah Shears. Before I got Nuffle, I had run into a lot of dock bets. And I think once you play a certain amount of hands, you know there's something wrong with our opponent's strategies, but you don't know how to play to maximize CP against it. And it's very frustrating. I looked at the document and I couldn't believe that I paid money for it. I actually doubted that it could provide value because it was so brief. But since then, it's repaid me just over and over and over again. And it's one of the most consistent money makers built into my strategy that sheds light on just how bad your opponents are. And it took me 20 minutes to perfect it. And it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. It's just that good. The simplicity of it is part of it being a masterpiece. Nuffle. <laughs> Go to chasingbokergreatness.com slash courses. Let's talk about our. Uh, let's talk about the guy that's putting you in the game, um, the amazing human being. 
Nicest guy in the world. Nicest guy in the world. I, I love him to death. Not not a poker player. No, has no. I mean, his first poker stable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he he put together a poker stable, and um, it was not ideal. He, I think, his thought was like he could just get anybody to play, and anybody's going to win. And I, I remember like being on Skype because like what's interesting about the the Asian games was like how you got in was you had to know somebody who knew somebody in China. And like there was no, you couldn't just get in yourself. You needed somebody to create that portal. And, you know, he was the portal. And of course, like if he's the portal, he's going to stake and he's going to take a cut. And he just put like everybody he could find in like a group. And I remember reading the messages going like, what on God's earth is this? Like it was like me, Joe, Lucas, and then 17 fish. And yeah, and and we just wanted because I, yeah, he said they're losing so much money, and I told him I says put us all on a chat, and I says it'll take me ten minutes to know if they know how to play poker or not. And I they think, started talking about hands, and I just I'm like these guys are horrible. Yeah, and, and that's the the thing. I, I think that his problem was like he didn't know who to trust at that point. You know, yeah. he, he didn't know whose opinion he could trust because he was getting many different opinions. And I think like over time he realized like there were a few people that he could trust, like me, he could trust you. I don't know who else. <laughs> I don't know who else he could trust beyond me and you. But I know that like me bringing you to him was like, I, I mean, it, it pretty much makes up for all of the other fish that got brought in and then got cut eventually. Because really you, you find one horse that's, you know, the stallion. And they make up for a lot of the the mistakes. Well, he went bust. He did go bust. Well, he he, he ended everything. He cut think. his losses. He cut his losses because I think he realized something was wrong, and then he kind of like circled back around to the people that that were actually winning. Um, in yeah, he contacted he me. He says, "I only want you as the only one right now." And um, I said, "All right, let's do this." Yeah, I think I can't remember what I was doing. I was I was on my own doing something. Yeah. Um but yeah, after so after the the PKC stuff, you you get back on ignition and how the how are the cash game streets treating you? Um well, I got back on ignition and I think I got back on global. And I thought I could just jump in the 500 games and be fine after I just got done playing all the um these um Chinese apps. Chinese apps. And I mean, I'll be honest. I, I didn't feel like I was what, I don't know if I ran into variance or something. I, w- I wasn't doing good on there. And, um, and I was, I may have been a break even player or a small winner. I was, I was behind the curve again. And, um, and I, and I, I noticed that I think I got down like $10,000, which isn't a real lot playing 500 games, but I mean, it's, some money and um i told him i said listen i said we got to change something here i says i says i made a mistake i shouldn't have jumped just jumped in these 500 games um i'm not up on the solver stuff i'm not i'm not i'm not one of the big winners in these games i says let's drop down the 200 no limit and um add in some mtt's well in your in your defense too like the Chinese games were much different than the 500 games. And we played those kind of like for years. And, you know, there's three blinds. There's an everybody's anting. 
And then the style of play in the Chinese games was just very, very different than like your traditional six max online cash game. So there was like an acclimation period um, that was probably necessary. And probably, you know, your game probably degraded playing against those Chinese folks for, you know, over the course of those years. Um, But yeah, so you lose 10K, you move down to 200 and L. And then and MTTs, which is interesting to me because like you, I don't know that you've ever like legitimately dug into MTTs. No, I was watching a Twitch stream, and I'm not going to say who it was, but um, the guy was just crushing, and I and I just felt he played like if you put him in our cash games, he would just get destroyed. He he was missing a lot of fun, fundamental things that I that I felt, and and he was. I mean, he was just he was just crushing the MTTs. I said, and and the games were, looked really soft. So I'm like, this is where I need to be. <laughs> you know, that's my people. I need to get in there. <laughs> I felt like I felt like if I could lose, if I could learn the um, learn the differences in MTTs, I had to obviously study the ICM. I had to study um short stack and stuff like that and um get some charts and stuff and whatever and I felt like I could do good at there, especially with my cash game experience in the early stages, I felt that would give me a really big advantage. What was a step that you took to level up your MTT game? Did you buy any courses, buy any training or anything? Yeah, I um got um Ben C V's master class. That really helped. On Razor Edge. Yeah, that's uh, that's one that I've I've just heard glowing reviews about over and over and over and over again. Um, yeah, it's really good. So you do the raise your edge. You're immersing yourself into the world of MTTs. How did how did that go? That and the 200 Nolan Mex. I wanted to while I was learning MTTs, I wanted to still um, just drop down in 200 Nolan because the games were easier down there, and um, I. I just crushed. I got out of makeup really, really fast, and um, did really good in um, really good at MTTs um, pretty quick, and um, enough where I just wanted to just drop the 200 no limit and just focus on the MTTs. I think in three months I made like a hundred thousand dollars in MTTs. That's okay. That's a pretty good three months. Yeah. Um. So I just. Kept studying and kept studying MTTs and just getting in there. And that's kind of where we're at now. It's kind of funny because like a lot of people in Greatness Village don't know much about you because you, you know, you you haven't uh, interacted a ton within the community, but like occasionally you'll just like screenshot like a second place finish for like 30K or whatever and post it. And like one of my students was like, who the fuck is this guy? He just like, he makes like, two posts a week and they're always just like these five figure caches. Um, but it, it's, man, I, I'm really happy for your transition and the success that you're having in the MTT streets. And I, I was, I asked you this the other day, if before you started playing MTTs, if you had ever had like one dedicated day to MTTs as a professional poker player. And you told me that you had not because I realized that I had never done that. either. I've never to this day, I've never just like woken up and been like, okay, I'm going to fire up a full slate of MTTs. Like I have never done that once in my entire poker career, which feels a little odd. Um, 
We weren't MTT players. We, we like we grew up just calling them MTT donks. <laughs> like we just couldn't wait. Like please come to our cash games. We're just gonna eat you alive. I mean, the mechanism for MTTs really like what I used it for in cash games was so that I would play longer cash game sessions. It was like, if I play this MTT, well, I have to play for like probably yep. three or four hours. So I'm just going to use that to ensure that my cash game session lasts for a while. I've done that before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had a nice cash in a live um, before. Um, I don't remember which year it was, but in, at Brigada, I just, just by chance jumped in a $500 tournament and, there was six thousand people in it, and I came in eleventh. I um, but I ca- I think I cashed for like seventeen thousand. Um, the next pay jump was fifty thousand. I I bubbled the final table. I got it all in king queen versus king jack. Um, door card, door card was a queen. My whole rail started going crazy, and then opened up ten nine. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, not not yeah. the other two. Cards you wanted. You flopped the straight and Yeah. That's I would uh, I would have first place was three hundred thousand. Um I I would have been one of the top three guys. Um I had absolutely no idea how to play um with a short stack. I just kinda was just kinda going all in here and there and kinda, I was probably playing real tight and just going playing playing too tight and won all my flips and somehow got there i mean that's what it takes sometimes yeah you may not know this but like i I probably have over a hundred thousand in tournament caches in my career online like just through the years of like on absolute poker i remember they would have like a weekly 1k tournament on wednesdays and i'd just be like okay i'm just gonna fire up this 1k tournament and like battling against like mark herm and um, sorrel mizzy and that crew in those like small field 1k tournaments and like I was very, I was very successful in a small sample size, like second or third for like 30 K and 20 K. Um, it adds up quick when you're running good, but, uh, I just never, I never explored MTTs because my passion has always been cash games. I've just, I've just always preferred them, uh, more than tournaments. Um, Yeah. Just being able to start them up whenever you want, get off whenever you want. You make your own schedule pretty much. Or tournaments. I mean, now I'm. I mean, I jump on usually around 4 p.m. and I'm done at two, three in the morning. And I do that five days a week. And it's even worse on Sundays. Sundays I start either one or two, and I'll be done sometimes two, three in the morning again. It's, it's a long day. Yeah, you're working hard. You're putting in the hours. You're getting in the volume, the hands. Um. So well, I just see, I just see there's so much more. I mean, I, well, you have I, to, right? You don't really have an option when it comes to MTTs. You just got to play yeah, high volume. Yeah. You have to get the volume in because it can be brutal, but and I'm, and I'm sure it will be like, it can be, it is, and it will be brutal. That's just the, so, and, but some days are really good. Right. Um, so I know you, that you've had to grow a lot as a poker player transitioning out of the Chinese games, getting competitive to the cash games on ignition, and then also switching it up to the MTT streets. So tell me what's your regular process for improving your poker game? Well, I actually kind of stink at that as I'm, I'm not a good studier. 
I really have to push myself to study. Like when I like watching videos and I, um, I, I like watching like Twitch and watching people play. Um, that's what I'm more interested in. I have to really, I have to really push myself to like, I have PO now and I do somewhat know how to use it. And, um, I do get in that and I have trainer and I do the, I do the training and stuff that inter, that works with PO, but, um, that stuff just does not interest me. And it's, it's a chore for me. Um, I, my favorite thing is like talking hand histories with people going over hand histories and I don't know the, the real study stuff. Um, even, even like watching videos of people like explain like in the real intricate parts. I mean, I, I, it's just not interesting to me. Which... I mean, you say that you suck at studying, yet also you're willing to talk poker like all day and all night long with somebody yeah. else, right? So like, I think that the, the way that is traditionally viewed as study just doesn't resonate with you. And I think that's the case for lots of people. It doesn't always resonate with me either. Like I'm way better at talking with someone and problem solving and breaking down a hand and asking pertinent questions and using that as a mechanism to grow that I am like blindly, you know, going, working away in a lab in Pio for five hours straight. Like I, I just, I can't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. It's not super exciting. Oddly working with somebody else investigating Pio is more fun than just being on my own but like i need the interactive element and i think study too i've said it many times on the pod but like study the word actually kind of turns me off i think of like oh cracking a book in high school reading about something that's just like stupid that i don't want to learn about so i have like a negative association with that word um i think i'm i'm thinking i'm the exact same way yeah. So you say like you're lazy or you don't like to study, but like you love learning and you love growing. It's just you need this specific environment that facilitates that growth. And for any listener out there that's like thinks to themselves, oh, that's me. Like Pio doesn't resonate with me. I need that environment. Seek that out to where like you can talk about poker for five hours and like you're not tired of it. It's not a chore. It's fun. It's exciting. You're learning. That's that's really the the key to improving at this game. I've even considered throwing out there to someone that was good at pile and like that could help me um, do that. Like I could throw them hands and they can run it through and we could kind of talk it over and I would like exchange them like coaching and stuff. Cause I think I have a good mind of poker and could help somebody come up and like kind of like where they do the work is just plugging it all in and all. I, I enjoy the outputs, but I just don't enjoy the whole process. I don't even that makes the outputs because I don't I don't know that I can trust the outputs. Yeah, like you you have to do so much work to f- get an output that you can like trust. Um, it's just yeah, it, it doesn't resonate with me very much at all either. Plus, you check. Um, well, main thing. Well, I don't do much pile now. It's mainly um, I see it. Uh, I my, how do I say it? Independent I, chip model. Yeah, well, that's what it's doing, but it's the ICMizer? program. Yeah, that's how you say it. Um, <laughs> I use that program, and um, but it's hard. I mean, some of these guys are limping under the gun, two, three off. How do you figure out the ranges? You don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, Joe. In the and, same and way, they, that you don't figure they're out the ranges when they limp under the gun in a cash game with do stray off. Yeah, you know. So 
sometimes it's hard going by that when you know you look at you look at what they're supposed to be doing and like but the good thing is on those things you can change it and like they're never folding these hands yeah you or, just have to node lock which becomes like very labor intensive yeah um what do you think for the listener what's the most high impact action you think they can take to improve their poker game i uh, definitely um i mean i for me at the beginning stages getting that coach was was huge um and then after that getting a getting a getting a group of people that enjoy poker to have the same type of thing that's two things but definitely having that interaction with someone yeah i mean it's those are two kind of essentials as it relates yeah. to to poker journeys and if you're taking the game seriously highly recommend finding a coach that you like that you enjoy spending time with that helps you grow that pushes you motivates you holds you accountable and you know a community that can be a sounding board for the good days and sometimes the bad days too you have to be careful though it's easy to get down a rabbit hole where everybody's complaining and all the time then it can become a that's negative. my favorite part about greatness village my community even the the, the skype group that we had before is like it's not tolerated, you know, it's yeah. not tolerate. Like somebody's negative. Somebody complains. It's like, Hey, we don't do that here. Like we're not, everybody goes through it, right? Like th this is not specific to you. So don't bring everybody down with your whining and your crying, uh, because that's what you do. You're sucking energy from everybody else with your constant complaining and you're making everybody else feel bad. And like, you know, there are plenty of communities that you can go into and do that if you want, just, we're not going to accept that in hours. I, and I've went down that rabbit hole where I felt like I needed to just always, you know, when you're going through something tough, sometimes you just want to sound it out to someone, but really no one wants to see that. I mean, every time I see someone do it, I'm like, oh, come on, man. Just... Anytime somebody does it and sends me like a direct message or whatever, it just automatically, I just feel like this horrible feeling in my gut. Like, ugh, I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with this. And yeah, it's just, it's not, it, it's not helpful for anybody. And I'm not saying like that you can't be vulnerable. You can't express that like you're struggling. I think that's reasonable if you're struggling and expressing vulnerability. It's like nobody wants to know that you had aces nine times and they got cracked six times in a day. Like who the, who's keeping track of this type of thing anyway? Like I, I've never kept track of something like that in my entire life. And there are people that are like, I've got an aces cracked the last six out of seven times I've had them and ace king suited's lost 12 out of the last 13. I'm like, well, good for you. <laughs> well, well done. Good, good rep record keeping, I guess. All right. So we'll go to some of the more scripted questions. Imagine there's, there's a carbon copy of Joe who's just getting into the game. They're 21 years old. They're just figuring out poker. If you could sit that kid down and give him some advice, what would that advice be? Is it today's game or the Today, game that... right now? Oh man! Uh, study MTTs. Don't play craps. Study MTTs. Yeah, oh, definitely don't play craps. <laughs> I, I just think, I just think. Well, unless, unless you really, I mean, you really. I just think cash games. Cash games is tough, especially if you want to get to that high. I think you get to a higher level. A lot easier in MTTs than you can in cash games. That's that's my belief right now. The way the future's going, I I believe that there was tons of money before in cash games, but I just I, I just think you have to you have to get to a sick level in cash games to 
get anywhere near of the money that's available in MTTs. The barrier to entry is is higher in cash. And, you know, I, I think, like, your opinion is very valuable and very trustworthy, too, since you've experienced both sides of the coin, and you've experienced both sides of them in a very recent way, too. And I, I hate saying that because I'm a cash game I, I'm a cash game player at heart. That's always been my thing. But people love tournaments. And I think it's harder to cheat in them. I think I'm scared. I'm scared of the way um, the real time solver stuff is coming in. And the scared of the technology is going to really hurt cash games. You always got live poker. You can always sit down at live, good old live poker. and Even that, they're making it, I mean, to get to the highest levels, I mean, you have to be invited and stuff. Yeah, you can still play like 5-10 and probably 10 and a quarter in a lot of places. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm talking like the real, eh, 10 and a quarter is a good game, but if you want, if you're, if you're trying to get to that real high level. Yeah, the 100, 200. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. it's as much, it's become... And I don't have experience with this, so take take my opinion with a grain of salt. But it appears as if it's becoming as much networking as it is poker ability. Yeah, and back in my live games, it was whoever sat down at the table. There was no no networking. Yeah, meritocracy. Let's go. Let's throw down. What do you think is something that folks who are chasing their poker dreams don't spend enough time thinking about? Well. It's hard. It depends on what level you want. If you want to get to the highest level, it's hard to balance. You really have to just put so much. But that's the same thing with business too. If your if your goal is to have a family and stuff like that, then you can't just go 100% into poker. You have to kind of balance it out. But if you're like a single person and stuff, um, and your goal is to get to the highest level, then you, you can't be wasting time partying and you can't be wasting time going out. You have to really buckle in and put a lot of energy in that and, and not waste not waste your time and energy doing silly stuff. I mean, it doesn't even have to be silly stuff, you know. I think it's I think if we just want to look at it really, it, it's a selfish pursuit. The the pursuit of truly being great at anything is a selfish pursuit. You have to sacrifice time spent with friends, time spent with loved ones, time spent, uh, you know, growing your relationships, improving your relationships because they're focused singularly on being great at one thing. And you just have to frame it in that way that like, if you are truly immersed in a thing, it is a selfish pursuit and you have, you have to view it that way because if you don't, there's another person out there who's dedicating every ounce of their being into being an absolute monster and they're going to beat you. There, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. And don't and don't try to live the baller lifestyle before you've made it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> use good money management tactics while you're working hard because like sometimes things happen, things change, and you know Black Friday comes around and you can't log into your poker website and uh, you you kind of wish that maybe maybe would have saved a little bit more. And yep. uh, not banked on tomorrow coming. Exactly. Things change. Games change. Life changes. It does. In pretty much any area or pursuit, too. Um, what's some common poker advice you hear that you just completely disagree with? 
Oh God. Um, especially at lower stakes, which is, I, I, well, in like, I would say hundred no limit, 200 no limit balance, balance, balance. Nowadays it's all bull crap. No one's balanced. And a lot of times you don't need to be, it's, you don't, you don't need balance in a lot of spots. Um, everybody's always talking about that, but, um, you don't need balance if somebody's not balanced yeah. themselves. <laughs> and yeah, in some of the some of the GTO stuff in the lower stakes is just ridiculous. Um, I saw some somebody posted the other day like, if you want to beat fifty and L, then you have to be working with a solver. <laughs> like I, I, somebody said that. I was like, that is like the the dumbest thing that I've ever heard anybody say. Because you're playing against people, you're never playing against well. Most of the time, you're not playing against a computer, or so. Like, if you're playing against somebody using real-time assistance, they're probably not going to use it at small stakes. Let's be real; the payoff is not as great as it is at higher stakes, um, so the risk is not really worth it for the person who's doing it. But like, you're playing against people; people are predictable. Use that, lean into that, learn how people think, learn what motivates them, learn their incentives, and that's going to get you what farther, way faster than you know diving deep into like the solver work from the from the jump eventually you might need the solvers eventually you're going to need software you're going to need the powerful tools but in the beginning to get you to like the top 95th percentile think about people think about their strategies what they're thinking how they're constructing and then just try to find the natural counter to all their strategies and i mean i can raise i can raise the whole viewers win rate by a lot right now and up up in the up into the mid stakes is just never call river raises. If you never call a river race now <laughs> until 500 at the limit, you're going to be doing just fine. There you go. Never call a river race unless you have the nuts, of course. Yeah. But then, I mean, then you're re-raising. So you're not even. Yeah. And, and recheck and make sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> I made that mistake once on ultimate bet. I got all in on the river with like, I had ace tray with like the ace of clubs and the tray of spades and there was three spades on the board and I thought I had ace tray suited <laughs> like just ramming and jamming uh that was the day that I learned four color deck is superior to two color deck yeah um, I'm anybody that I've ever seen they call river raises I had a friend I had a friend that would constantly show me oh look what I caught I'm like let me look at that database for a second how many river raises have you called and lost money on to find that one Sure enough. Many, many, many. It's like like a story of a guy, a guy in my home game uh, one time. I mean, this is probably like mid-2000s. He was a used car salesman. His name is Dwight. He, he uh, was at the casino. He, he loved the craps. Loved the craps. And he always told the same story of like he lost. He had like $500 when he went in. He lost it all. He had one green chip one $25 chip. He slept underneath his pillow with this green chip and he woke up and he went and played crafts the next day and ran it up to like 20,000 and cashed out. And the stories that he never told were all the times that he brought 20,000 and left with zero, right? Like it, so it's yeah. easy to remember the time that shit worked out while forgetting all the times that it took you, uh, all the misery, all the failure, all those numb drive homes, uh, totally broke. For some reason, those those are not the stories that you you want to remember. You want to remember the one time it worked out. So we're gonna move to the lightning round here. If you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be and why? 
Oh, God. Well, it had to be the Super System because that was pretty much one of the few books <laughs> I read. It's the only book you read. Okay. I think we might need a more up-to-date answer then. What about uh, poker content that it, you think would be helpful to listeners' game? Or software, I mean, too. Oh, I mean, at the beginning stage is definitely Upswing. I think Upswing's great for beginners. So Upswing, just the lab? Um, yeah, the lab. I think that's I think that's a great spot. I think they do a really good, simple job of explaining and um, putting things into groups and stuff like that. And I, I think, yeah, I think that's a really good place to go. And of course, of course, chasing poker greatness as well. <laughs> wow, that's they're certainly going to trust that after <laughs> that forced plug there. Um, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would it be? Oh, get rid of HUDs and what? and put everything anonymous. Why HUDs? Why get rid of HUDs? There's a downside to getting rid of the HUDs in that uh, HUDs are like one of the best ways to catch cheaters because poker sites don't care. Yeah, that's true. But I, I don't know. I just I don't I don't think I don't think that um recreational players when they get wind of everybody having all these stats at them and stuff i think that just makes them want to go play live they don't like they, they don't like that you are they almost find it as cheating as they're, you're gathering all this information i've said it many times and it, it always like boggles my mind that like you know you buy a an xbox game and you get into a virtual world like halo and you have a heads-up display that shows like your oxygen level and your power level, and you have all these icons, and you're like reading it. And like a 12-year-old kid can learn all that shit in about three minutes. And yet, poker sites, why not just have a built-in HUD where they show everybody how to use it? And that way, it's a level playing field. I mean, that's the alternative solution, right? Just give yeah. everybody the same one with material showing like, this is how it works. This is what it does. Like... Maybe that just makes too much sense for anybody to do. I don't know. Or have a HUD like in, in anonymous sites. I don't mind that um, where you only have the session stats. It's it's where you start build, You start buying all these hands from people. And, I mean, I remember back in the days, I mean. Poker table ratings. You get all these hands, and then you just sit there and you're against the guys that you play with day in and day out. If you if you wanted to beat those games, you just study their game and just find those le leaks and stuff. And I mean, you could spend days just on one person and just, I mean, just rip their game apart and it's, and then use that in game. And I don't know. That's just. I think nowadays that's a little overrated in that, like, I think the evolution of poker is that like, you, your game should be changing pretty fast and if it's not if you're not improving fast like if, if if i could buy three if somebody buys three hundred thousand hands on me specifically my game is not going to look like it did at hand number one and then hand number three hundred thousand so i think there are some diminishing returns back in the day though when games are not changing that often and you can just like map it out and see it's like oh okay yeah. i see the holes i see the exploits and then you could just do it yeah um if you could erect a billboard Every every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the casino. What's it say? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Be, be nice. 
That's, I mean, I think I, I, I think be nice is right. Yeah. I think you're the second person in a row that said be nice. Um, really? I, and the folk, first person was like be the jerks. first player that, that said it or the first uh, guest on the podcast that said it. But yeah, you're right. When I played live, maybe we would joke, laugh. There was no sunglasses. There was no none of that stuff. We just had a good time, talked. And I mean, I played. We talk played, about Joe. I've seen pictures of you with sunglasses on. I know I've seen it. I think it might yeah. even be your, your Zoom picture. Yeah, that was when I was playing that tournament, but um, <laughs> and I You're felt like tournament felt, pro that one time. Yeah, but back then I didn't, and and I was like with a bunch of doctors and lawyers, and I just loved to hear them, you know, when they talked their um, business or businessmen and stuff. And I mean, it was a good time. I really got to know them and stuff, and they enjoyed playing with me. They enjoyed losing to me, and it was, it was fun. That's the way that it should be. I- I'm going to admit something embarrassing that I haven't admitted on the show before, but I think my first purchase as a professional poker player after I won like my first three or four sessions was like a pair of $300 sunglasses. Oh God, 20, 20 year old Brad, what were you doing with your life? You, you felt like, felt like I needed like the, you know, the orange reflective glasses that, that was like what, what meant that I had made it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I did. That's why I, 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 those glasses I wore, I didn't wear those until like the late, late stages. I, most of the tournament, I wasn't even wearing glasses. I, you could, was, you were worried that they were going to see through your soul. Yeah, it was. Table. Yeah, I was mainly an internet guy at that point. I and I was a little worried. Like you see, they say, "Oh, they're going to just know everything when they look at me." Not really a thing. It's not really a thing. It would be nice. I would like to read somebody's soul, but it, it's it's tough. Um, what's your big goal right now as it relates to poker? Like, what are you working towards? Where would you like to be, you know, in the next five, 10 years? Um, I want to be able to, um, go to the world series and have a whole, just play a whole, um, slate. Yeah. A whole slate of the games I want to play. Um, I want to buy it right now. I'm building a house after I get done building my house. I want to buy an RV and, um, I want to be able to travel around the country and, you know, go wherever I want to play poker. And man, I'm I'm genuinely so happy for you, and I know that that will happen. And mostly, I know that because you're an amazing poker player and a very smart guy. And you know, the successes will just keep coming in the MTT streets. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait for you to start selling your WSOP MTT slate because I'm you you have at least one uh interested buyer and I'm sure you have many many more in Greatness Village and um yeah it, all all that stuff it's within your grasps and you just you really deserve it. Thanks man. And I mean it's been great being your friend for all these years and I appreciate it. It's I mean again like I I say it a lot of, lot on the podcast but like relationships are to me the most important part of this gig and the most meaningful and give me the most joy. The relationships I've made in poker have given me more joy than actually playing poker itself. And that's coming from somebody that genuinely loves the game. So, um, and, and final question, which is a funny question, but where can the chasing poker greatness audience find you on the world wide web? 
I don't really have a spot. Just at Joseph in Greatness Village. Um, join the Chasing Poker Greatness community. Joe is one of the villagers in there. And um, yep. yeah, I think if you're looking for a community, that's the place. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, man. It's been great having you on. Always a pleasure. We'll do it again. And uh, best of luck and have a great rest of your day. Hey, thanks, man. Too. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community. Book a coaching session or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.